This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and today is the big day. We are going to be talking NWSL Challenge Cup teams. With me is my friend. That wasn't the intro I was hoping for, but that's okay. Uh, It's my friend, John Haller, and how's it going, John? I am good. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. That's right. So Challenge Cup is happening. It's happening in less than a week. Uh, I was hopeful that maybe we would have rosters by now. I think it's likely that uh, we are recording this on Sunday. I think that it's likely we might get these tomorrow on Monday. Um, but we're going to forge ahead anyway and talk through each NWSL team competing in the Challenge Cup. We're going to start with the Eastern Division. And we are going to keep this limited. We are going to try to not have this go too long. We are going to be very stringent. Follow the rules. Five minutes per team. We're not going to go over or under to make sure everybody gets their due. So, Eastern Division here of the Challenge Cup. We have Orlando, North Carolina, Washington, Sky Blue, and Louisville. First in my notes is Orlando, so let's start with them. Uh, I'm going to start with, I I wrote down what I kind of think each team's energy is going into this Challenge Cup. And I think Orlando's energy is hopeful right now. Uh, they had a very good kit launch this past week. They've been trying to establish an organizational um, aesthetic and front of, of being organized, taking things seriously, being excited for good things. They didn't get to play a lot in 2020 because they did not participate in the 2020 Challenge Cup. What do you think about Orlando's, for lack of a better word, what their vibe is going into this tournament? I think that's a good one because I think the the biggest question has always been like going all the way back to the beginning of this organization is look at all these good pieces they have. Why aren't they a better team? Um, you know, with the exception of that one year that they, that they got into the playoffs, they've always had these star players and these very popular players, but, uh, there's not a lot of evidence that, that they can make it work. And, and, and that might be different. You know, we know they added Allie Riley and, and Morgan should be back this year. Erica Timrak came out of retirement. So they've added some pieces. Um, but yeah, I think for me, cohesion would be the word in terms of can they make it work? Right. The, the issue with Orlando has always been that they have the big stars and then the team that they fill in around those big stars quite frankly, in some years have not really been league level. It's just not been there. Um, but I think this off season, they've made some moves to try to fill in that middle ground. Um, I thought that the trade to send Emily Sonnet to Washington was actually more productive than it could have been. They got Megan Doherty Howard, who mm-hmm. is, she's my player to watch for them actually. Cause I do think she is that middle level of talented league starter level, um, who can help things, especially in that midfield. Um, But the issue is just the history, right? Of at at this point, how much has that institutional history kind of seeped into the squad? And at what point we saw the way Houston dealt with that is they got people out of, they, they got some certain people out of that roster. They did some roster turnover, brought some very specific people in Orlando. Hasn't really done that with their top end of that team that might be still to come but it's not happening in 2021 um so that is the big question for me is how do you you're right it's that cohesion and how do they turn that into results as well and then so this is my my next question about orlando is what do you think the goal is of the challenge cup for them is it to win games or is it simply do you think to put performances together that they can be proud of 
Yeah, I would think if I was Mark Skinner, and he's another one, like we don't really know, is Mark Skinner a good coach? Is Mark Skinner not a good coach? Uh, Because we had that one season and then whatever last year was. So we still don't know. We know the players talk about him very well. Um, But I would say if I'm Mark Skinner, I go into this Challenge Cup hoping to figure out what my basic first 11 looks like. And I just want to see some glimpses that we can compete at the league level. Yeah, I think tactically, um, tactically, they have to make some decisions about what they want to do, especially in terms of the defense. Um, They got caught out trying to play out of the back a lot in 2019. Um, The amount of goals that they gave up that were simply just giveaways in in their in their uh, back third. Uh, is something that they'll want to improve on. I don't know exactly if that personnel shift has happened enough for that to work for them. Um, so I wonder if they change the tactics a little bit. I wonder if we see um, Mark Skinner's team play a little bit closer to NWSL style playing of getting it out, being quick in transition, a little bit more direct and see if that works for them a little bit better. Uh, we are almost out of our five minutes for Orlando. So I will ask, how do you think they'll do? I have them finishing fourth in the East. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Okay, moving on to North Carolina. I wrote for their energy petty question mark. I know. I've I've had a follow up. This is my longest, this is my longest energy writing, which is that they they have something to prove a little bit here. Um, because over this offseason, over 2020 and over the offseason, we started to see some of the armor fall off basically, mm-hmm. for North Carolina. They gave up some tough results in the fall series. They got bounced out of the Challenge Cup early, and they had some roster turnover and some very important pieces leave that team. So I think for them, they you might want to temper expectations. They're probably not going to be the same kind of world eaters that they've been in the past, but they want to remind people that they're still the North Carolina Courage and they can still score lots of goals. Uh, what do you think about... Uh, North Carolina going into this one. Well, it's funny because I wasn't really prepared to do like a, a, a one word thing, but the way that, that I had structured my thoughts on North Carolina, my first two questions were who, and yeah. uh, you know, who replaces Dahl Kemper, who right. replaces Mewis, who replaces Dunn. And the honest answer is you don't replace any of those three players. Those right. three players are one of a kind and they do. They they have to figure that out. Now, the one thing they have going for them is they could still probably win most games 4-3 if yeah. they need to. Right. When Williams is there, when Dabinia is there, you know, when they're not away on international duty, you've still got Hamilton, you've still got McDonald. There's still just so many good pieces on that team, and they have that culture of winning, and you've got Ursig and Sullivan and you have these players who are going to carry that, that culture forward. And um, I think when you look at what Dabinia has become over the past two years, um, I'm not sure if she is, but I think you could argue she's the best player in the world right now. And I think that she could, just on her own, overcome a lot of the holes in their lineup that uh, that have have come up over the past year. Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly right, and I think that they're still going to be able to score. I think that one of the things, though, that North Carolina was so good at during their title runs was this idea of total team press and total team defense, um, and they didn't make mistakes. It was something that didn't when they executed that they also had the ability to recover it to the point where that uh that mode that mindset didn't hurt them and I wonder a little bit if with the players that they have now if they try to do that especially early this year right early challenge cup this is still kind of a preseason tournament I wonder if we're just going to see some more mistakes um and they're going to get get bit a little bit. I mean, we saw what happened in that fall series game against Orlando. That was very uncharacteristic of them. Well, part of the reason they were able to play so aggressively over the past, I guess, three, four seasons was that Dahl Kemper and Urseg could basically sit back there by themselves and take care of any counters. And by the time they dealt with the initial counter, then Hinkle or O'Reilly or Matthias or Sullivan or Mewis was getting back into the play. 
So who ends up playing that other center back next to Ursig is a huge deal because if you can't defend those counters as effectively, then you can't play as aggressively going the other direction. Your outside backs can't go, uh, you know, forward with abandon. You can't send both of your sixes forward. And so they, they may have lost a little bit in that regard. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy because we're talking about the loss of a center back, but having Abby Dahlkemper is what allowed them to play offense the way they did. So I do right. think her loss is going to affect their attack. Yeah. And obviously they have two outside backs that they have to replace um, because Matthias is still out with injury, I believe. And um, Jaylene Daniels retired in the off season. Um, they did get Taylor Smith back. She's maybe my player to watch for them. She's someone who has had a rough go of it ever since she left the team originally um, and getting her back into the form that she was in when she left, I think is going to be very important. Um, the one question I just really have for North Carolina though, is if they get to the point where their reputation is no longer as yeah. sterling, at what point do the players start believing a little bit less in the project and do they maybe have to start over a little bit? And what, and at what point are opponents not intimidated anymore? Right. Because part of the way they played over the past few years, they, they would just suffocate you. And even right. Chicago felt that in the final, like right. they just jumped all over them. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I think that the players that they lost are unfortunately irreplaceable. Um, I've said this before. I think that North Carolina really went supernova when they added Crystal Dunn. I think not having Crystal Dunn is going to be a big loss for them. Um, and then they also lost two of the best players in the world in addition. Right. So we'll see. Uh, how do you think North Carolina does? I still think that in the Challenge Cup, they're going to win the East because mm -hmm. they get Washington early. Right which uh, for some reasons we'll, I guess we'll talk about in the Washington segment, I think is advantageous for North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, I still think they can beat teams four three if they need to. Yeah. And uh, that's going to give them a huge edge. Yeah, I agree. I think that we, I think seeing North Carolina in the final would not be shocking to me. Okay. Moving on to Washington uh, for them, for their energy. This is similar to 2020. I put ambitious. This is an ambitious team, ambitious coach. Um, talk about kind of believing in the culture, believing in the project. They have changed the way that they play and they want to start winning things. Um, for them, not winning the East will be a disappointment, I think. And so you said you put North Carolina over them because of what, because of the schedule, because of who they'll have at the time. Yeah. I just think the thing with Washington, and it's, it's so interesting that you use the word ambition because I think the moves that they made long-term are going to work out really well for them. Yeah. I think if you're looking at adding a Kelly O'Hara and an Emily Sonnet, they're going to make your team better. That, that seems like kind of a no brainer, but it's also going to create some chaos in what they've been trying to do over the past two years, because right. Richie Burke has put so much time and effort into molding that team into this possession under all cases right. um, out of the back. And they're so good at it, and it's such a a perfectly uh, calibrated system. And now you're adding new pieces. And not only does that mean that you have some extra players in places where you already had pretty good players. So if we're talking about Tegan McGrady and Tori Huster, who are the normal starters, what happens there? But we've also heard some talk uh, from our friend Jason Anderson about that they might go to a three-back this year. And if they go to a three back and now you go with wings and that's probably going to be O'Hara on one side, maybe Houston on the other, um, that's going to change up all of these tiny nuances that Burke has spent a year and a half putting into place. And you're, you're maybe not starting from scratch, but you're changing the ang the passing angles of your center backs. You're changing the passing angles uh, into the wide spaces. You're changing the responsibilities of your midfielders in that. And so I think that as good as they are and as good as they can be, I think they are a team that is going to take until sometime in May until you're really seeing what they can do. Um, and then that, of course, will get thrown back up in the air by the Olympics. But um, the, all of that change and all of that ambition is going to take a while until it ends up becoming the final product. Yeah, I think um, Washington right now is very interesting because I do think that their moves in the off season and the tactical changes that they might be making 
have them firmly kind of swinging in between win now and win later. And I'm not entirely sure that the win now part is going to win out. I think that it's going to turn into a win later instead. Um, I think that Washington has the ability to break certain teams down with their style of play. I think they will not be able to break every team down with that style of play because they can't score. <laughs> they, they This is an issue that they've had. This is an issue that they had last year in preseason. We're very lucky to have Jason Anderson in, in DC because he's been doing some reporting on their preseason. Some of actually the most, you know, detailed preseason mm-hmm. reporting that we got for any team. Um, and there are still some flashes of they can put sequences together. They have a very strong defense, but who is going to score the goals is still the main question. I think that they are asking a lot of Ashley Sanchez and Ashley Hatch. Um, and we will have to see if those players can take that next step and turn that into, into, uh, into goals. And so I think that Washington is going to score some beautiful goals this year. It just might not be in every game. And so what do you do when you have a team that's very happy to let you hold on to the ball, try to do your thing with it and you fail. And then if they get you on a counter, that's it. That's ball game. Um, so do you have them? I I'm kind of sensing it. Are you have them in second, second in the yeah. division? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, the other thing about that, that, uh, Jason had reported on in regards to them maybe struggling a little bit to score is he Richie Burke went on this long explanation during one of his press calls about getting Andy Sullivan to score more yeah you know in a weird way to kind of to help her national team fortunes which I didn't really understand because I do think that she's she's pretty good when she sits back a little bit and controls right. the tempo of the game so I'm not sure that that should necessarily be her her number one priority or his number one priority but um, I think that speaks to what you were saying is that you can possess, 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 but yeah, you're right. They're going to need somebody to, to have 10 goals and somebody to have, be right behind them with eight right. in order to, to be at that top echelon. Yep. I agree. All right. We're out of time on Washington. Thank you, Washington. Next, we are moving on to sky blue. Uh, I wrote and en- I wrote for their energy. I wrote fun. They're going to be fun, I think. I hope. I hope they'll be fun. We saw two different kinds of sky blue last year. We saw kind of a less fun sky blue in the Challenge Cup, and then we saw a very fun sky blue in the Fall Series, and I'm hopeful that that is what will continue into 2021. Um, If they play Midge Purse up top, they're going to have a very good attack. They've got some Mm -hmm. attackers who know how to get to goal. They know how – they're just ballers. they got some ballers up there. Their defense is a big – question um they're not very fast back there their defense is they don't have pace we saw them get really burned by by chicago during the fall series last year um so i think that sky blue is going to find themselves in a lot of shootouts and i think those games are going to be awesome i just don't know how many of them they win is maybe where i'm at with it yeah i think i would say that i i like their sky or i like sky blues defense a little bit more i think than than maybe you do i thought uh lewandowski and johnson had a, had a pretty good challenge cup i like flores a lot although yeah, true. she she was not a regular starter right um i like freeman a lot even though i know last year was kind of a comeback year for her coming off that that big injury and then obviously they have dorsey um i think for me the bigger question is you know, whether with, with Cujo and, and Zerboni in the midfield, if that's going to quite be enough, you know, losing Sarah Waldmo, because like you said, I like their forward line. And yeah. I know you wrote a piece for the site this week uh, or last week, I guess, technically about um, Ona Anumanu, um, who I think is an excellent player. And I thought between her um, and Monahan and Purse, they're, there were some sequences in the fall series where you looked at them and you said, these, these guys can, can create and these guys can score. And man, with a full season behind them, I really feel like they could be an excellent team. Um, there, there's question marks. We don't know what they're going to do over a full series, uh, a full season. I think, you know, we still have kind of like with Orlando, we're not a hundred percent sure. Uh, with the coaching situation, right. maybe it's really good. Maybe it's not. Um, I think it's going to take, you know, 24 games in a challenge cup to really figure out where they're at. But this is a team that I think going all the way back to 2018 
has been like Washington ambitious. Yeah. If you go back to 2018, there was the cupboard was empty. Right. There was not a lot of talent. People did anything they could to get out of that team. Yep. And you've seen in a, in a fairly, I think, a, in terms of sports franchises, in a fairly short period of time, that this 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 uh, organization turn itself around and really put together some potential. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I had I have uh, Paige Monahan as my as my player to watch. I think that she is very underrated um, mm-hmm. for what she does. It's it's surprising to me actually how little attention she gets based on how often she does get on the score sheet. Um, even when the team was not very good, she was scoring for them. Um, yes, I agree. I think you're right that the unfortunate thing for sky blue is letting Wilma go was an off the field thing. That was a player request based off of just what the player wanted for, for her life. And it made the team worse. Unfortunately, Um, when you give, when you have, we are in a position where you have to make that kind of a move. That is a hole that they are not, that they haven't filled. Um, I'm sure they will eventually. And it does kind of disrupt what that midfield was doing because they had Zerboni playing forward, kind of like a defensive sort of a 10. And then they had Cujo um, sitting kind of in between. And then the fact that they had Wolmo there to clean up and to kind of patrol the back part of that midfield allowed other things to happen. Um, And so maybe my biggest, my biggest concern, and this is also for challenge cup specific, Kaylin Sheridan, got quite yep, hurt 100%. Um, during the She Believes Cup. And so I don't think we have a timeline for her return, but I do not think it's soon. So I worry about Sky Blue's spine a little bit. Yeah, and I don't think there's a clear backup in yeah. terms of when you look at either backup goalkeepers, you're not sure who it's going to be and you're not 100% sure how they're going to perform. And there were times where Sheridan was so unbelievably good that she was keeping them in games and they're going to need somebody else to probably step up and be pretty close uh, to that level in order to be as competitive as I think they can be. Cause I think they're, they're a mid table, maybe tipping towards the upper. Keep an eye. I would say for the regular season, keep an eye on them with six playoff spots. I think they will absolutely be in that mix. Uh, So I'm guessing third, you have them third. I do. All right, let's talk about who is getting fifth. We're moving on to Louisville. Okay, Louisville. Energy. I, I'm, I'm trying to be nice, but I did put naive. Their energy is a little bit naive right now, which is surprising because their manager is not new to the NWSL. Um, their positives, I think, is that they're doing a lot of off-the-field things really well. It seems like their setup is yep. great. Their stadium is beautiful. Their players are happy. I think all of those things are a great way to start a team. I do not think they are going to be competitive this year. I just don't think they've put the players together. They, I think they made some mistakes in the expansion draft. I think that they don't have 11 NWSL starting quality players. I just don't. That's as best you could say it because yeah. the three words I have at the top of my notes are no cohesive lineup. Yeah. They're, they have nice pieces. We know very well what a player like Yuki Nagasato and Savannah McCaskill can do. There's a lot of young fun talent, Lauren Malay, uh, Julia Ashley. We still don't know mm-hmm. Kaylee real uh, Emily Fox. There are some fun Ashlyn Merrick. There are some fun players there that mm-hmm. I, I want to just personally watch and see how they develop. But when you say naive, they picked two national team players in the expansion draft, which might be a good long-term move. And so right. maybe they're, they're doing this because this might make them competitive in 2022, but that's left them a couple players short and they need players right now. And it's going to be tough. And maybe, maybe they decided that maybe they sat down for the expansion draft and they got, you know, their brain trust together and they said, Hey, you know, let's get some young players in here and we'll give them, lots of nice, you know, accommodations and show them that we're going to provide for them and make them happy, but we're going to get our teeth kicked in and then yeah. we'll play for 2022. Right. Because it, it does seem like that cohesive short-term strategy is just, is just not there. Right. And yes. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we still don't know. It's still possible that those players, those national team players do play for Louisville in 2021. That is still a possibility. Um, but not in the Challenge Cup. So I just think that their Challenge Cup campaign is going to be a struggle. Um, I think then for them, 
I, for my player to watch, I put Emily Fox. I think this is true actually for a lot of their players, which is how do you turn this experience into something that you can build off of? Because not all loss, you can't learn from all losses. There are some losses that are too chaotic um, that there's not a lot to build off of. So how do you turn this into a productive experience um, for the team? I think that they have the ability. I mean, I'm, hopeful i'm excited i would like to see savannah mccaskill play well for them um very interested to see exactly where yuki nagasato is in terms of pace and fitness um she had kind of a rough 2020 so i would like to think that louisville can win a game here but it's also just possible that they just can't that they just don't have it together enough Yeah, and I had Fox as my player to watch because I am curious to see where they play her. Yeah. You know, we, I think if if your knowledge of Emily Fox is based primarily on her national team call-ups, you've seen her play as an outside back. But I know that there's been talk about playing her as a center back and there's been some talk about playing her in the midfield. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really know where she's going to fit in. Uh, My hope, is that wherever she plays, she's successful because it would be a real shame for a player of her potential to go to an expansion team, get moved around to three different positions. They lose, you know, 15 games and she becomes distraught. And five years from now, we're talking about how does she get her career back on track? I, I mean, I think that we saw a lot of, this is why maybe we saw a lot of players stay in college. Uh, you know, I think that there is some concern amongst the player pool of being taken by expansion teams who are kind of playing this long game um, because that's not necessarily great for the player. So it that I think you're right. I think that where they play her is important. I think that for her, to become someone who is going to be the cornerstone of what they're building. I think that they have to place a lot of trust in her. And I think that they have to keep that, that psychology, that morale up. Uh, So there you go, Louisville. There is a whole heck of a lot of bulletin board material there from us. (laughs) We wish you well. So that's one, two, three, four, five in the Eastern division. John has North Carolina as the winner. I will go with that. I think it could be Washington, but I think don't bet against North Carolina. I think that that's a foolish thing to do. So that is the East. And we will be back in a second with the West and a little bit of news. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. We'll be right back to that in a minute, but just want to make sure that you're aware of our other podcasts from the Equalizer Network. Kicking Back, it's one that I host, and each week we talk to personalities from across the sport of women's soccer, coaches, players, executives, plenty of great guests throughout Season 1 from U.S. coaches, Vlatko Anonofsky, Jill Ellis, to players like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird, so many great guests, and we're coming up on Season 2 pretty soon, and you are not going to want to miss what we have in store for you. So go ahead and check out Kicking Back. If you're listening on a podcast platform right now, you can find us there as well. We're on all the podcast platforms, and we're looking forward to another exciting season of really in-depth interviews and fun interviews with our latest guests. That's it for me, and let's get you back to the Equalizer podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. Before we go on, I must ask that you rate and review the podcast in whatever streaming service that you prefer. It helps us a lot, helps people find our content, and we just like to read nice things about ourselves. So please go ahead, give us a five-star review uh, on whatever streaming service you use. Now, moving on to news a little bit, uh, we do have... Uh, final quarterfinal results of the UEFA Women's Champions League. Well, most of them. Barcelona, uh, and nobody actually, there were no upsets in the second leg. Every team that won the first leg did actually end up winning the, the tie. Uh, Barcelona advanced over Manchester City. Chelsea advanced over Wolfsburg. Bayern, Music, Bayern Munich advanced over FC Rosengard. And we still actually do not know who will be the ultimate winner of Lyon versus PSG because... Olympic Lyon has a massive COVID outbreak right now. Uh, They had 14, I think, to date players and staff test positive for COVID-19. They petitioned 
to have the game postponed, which was granted, but they do have a limited window to get that second leg in. Um, and there is actually precedent for, uh, for a forfeit because this actually happened in PSG's last tie of the Champions League. And if Lyon cannot participate in the second leg, PSG will be given a 3 nothing win, and that would put them over Lyon into the semifinals. Obviously, the club does not want that to happen, but sometimes circumstances are out of your control. This also affects the international break that is coming up because obviously a number of Leon's players um, play for their national teams. I believe the call-ups that they originally had were Ellie Carpenter for Australia, Katerina Macario for the U.S., and a number of French players. Uh, the U.S. Uh, took, took back the call-up for Macario. They tried. They decided that in order to keep everybody safe, Macario has, as of this, I don't, we don't know, but do not think that she herself tested positive, but she is a close contact. Um, the French team, I believe, still honored those call-ups, except Amandine Henri did test positive for COVID, so she will not be in camp. Um, and I believe Carpenter also uh, was still called up. So, I, you know, big question is, should they even play this game? Uh, the U.S. is going over to Europe at a time where uh, some European countries are still really struggling with the pandemic. Their positivity rates are quite high. In the same way that it probably wasn't super safe for teams to travel to Florida for the She Believes Cup. I think we're kind of seeing this on the flip side now. Uh, but the U.S. did go. They're going to be playing Sweden and then France. John, should they even be playing these games? I think it's a tough call. I think that it, it depends a lot on when these French players came into camp because you've got to figure out the period now you know the standard quarantine period is 14 days mm -hmm. so there's no way that they're going to hit that if they've just begun camp i've seen other organizations use a model where they go seven days and two negative tests right under that model you probably are going to have the french players in camp long enough to make it seven days and and two negative tests before they play but it's not, look, it's, none of us are, are in a great situation. We've all been dealing with this in various capacities with our jobs, with social situations, with family obligations. Um, and obviously we know that whether it's Lindsey Horan or Alex Morgan, that, that some of the U.S. players have, have dealt with this. Um, we know that there are some rare cases where people are dealing with long-term negative effects from this. We know that once it gets into a team, the outbreak within the team can be pretty severe, as we're seeing in the NHL right now. Um, it's not a great situation. And, and I, I feel for these players because I know that, you know, on my on my level, from a personal level, I've taken this very seriously from day one and done everything I, I can uh, to protect myself and my family. So these these players are in a tough situation and I think that it's it's been a tough year for everybody and I think everybody's kind of chopping at the bit to get back to quote-unquote normal um it it's going to be a tough decision I think for the U.S. medical staff yeah I, they seem to trust their protocols really well um mm -hmm. and they've been able to do a good job so far um I just think that the risk of a real disaster which if of thinking of U.S. players maybe get this while they're over in Europe. They bring that back to their NWSL teams. Uh, that protocol is very slim because they want to get those players back into the clubs quickly. Right. I think it's three days in a negative test out of a U.S. environment, U.S. Women's National Team environment. It's it's cutting it close. And, and the league has done a really good job so far. And I, I've said this in other places where my my personal level of what they of safety is has anyone in the NWSL gotten COVID because of their job? And I think to date, the answer is still no. And right. I think that that is something that you want to protect. So we'll see. Also, the thing with the game against France, competitively, the players that France no longer has now, this is no longer the competitive game that it was going to be. Right. I'm not sure what the value is exactly versus the risk. So We'll see. I bet. I don't think they're going to cancel it. I think they're going to play. Um, hopefully everything goes well. One other piece of news that I wanted to touch on first, I just wanted to say happy belated trans day of visibility. Uh, we love the trans community here at the equalizer and we love uh, having you guys listen and read. Uh, 
speaking of though, in terms of news, the NWSL on Trans Day of Visibility, they released a set of protocols, which they presented as wanting to be precise and inclusive to athletes in the trans community if they um, wanted to play in the NWSL, which there was some positive feedback and there was some less positive feedback for that. Um, partially just having to do with some of the verbiage and, and our friend, our friend, Steph Young at uh, all for 11 wrote a very good piece. Uh, she did some very good reporting on that protocol. So go read that if you haven't checked it out yet. Um, I think my take on it is that it's productive to have this information out there. It's productive to have this public. And I think that it could be better. And so ultimately uh, I think that it is good that we know that it exists. And then I also just hope that the league is ready to be collaborative in, uh, in improving it. Uh, any thoughts on that, John? Any? I, I think I, I have a, a similar take to what I've, I've seen out there, which I think it was well-intentioned. And I think it maybe starts, uh, starts the discussion, but it's, it does seem like there's some things that need to be thought out or perhaps uh, re- rephrased or restructured yeah yep agreed so that'll probably be an ongoing hopefully honestly be an ongoing conversation because hopefully we will see updates to that um with the feedback that they've gotten so that's all of our all of our non-nwsl news now we are moving into the west which is not exactly that west this is not really a western division there's no such thing as that in the nwsl it's more of a midwest south you know it's it's the everybody else division essentially i can see the pacific ocean from my window in chicago right exactly um i do think that they did a decent job we talked about this when the schedule dropped i think they did an okay job of trying to um mitigate travel i think portland has the toughest uh travel schedule but um the west is in my opinion kind of stacked we're going to talk about some good teams here so let's start with capital p portland uh energy i just have dominant i think that they Mm -hmm. are here to crush it um and i think that they well we'll get into this we'll see if they have the people to do it early with all of the call-ups that they've been dealing with um their roster top to bottom is exceptional um but is it too but the bigger question is is it too good because they're going to be missing a lot of people for their first two games. And if they don't get a hot start, they're not going to be at the top of the division by the time it's over. Um, but I remember us saying similar things about the 2019 World Cup, and they did great during that period. So I think that you have to trust Mark Parsons a little bit, but their roster is also small. And so I think the bigger question is just who is going to be filling in for these first two games and how is that going to go for them? Yeah, and I think we're going to have to see how players like Simone Charlie, Morgan Weaver uh, do in the attack, because if you look at the players that Portland is losing with Haran, Dunn, Sinclair, Smith, that is the bulk, I imagine, of where you're expecting the goals to come from. Right. And all of those players are gone. Yes. So their first game, um, I don't actually remember. Oh, they're playing. They're playing Kansas City first. Um, and they, then they play Chicago second. And I think that that right. second game against Chicago could be the make or break moment for both of those teams in, in terms of yep. trying to get to, to the, to the top there. Um, yeah, the player that I have to watch is, uh, Rocky Rodriguez. I think that she mm-hmm. is primed for a breakout year this year. Um, I think that she's going to be very important to them. Um, and yeah, I think it is, it's just who fills in. We're probably going to see. We're probably going to see Kelly Hubley. We're probably going to see Madison Pogart. We're probably going to see some of these players that Portland thinks very highly of, but we haven't necessarily always seen them get a ton of playing time. Um, and then they're going to have kind of a quick turnaround that I think they'll do fine with of getting those top line players back into, back into the starting 11. Um, do you think they're going to win? I do, but I think it's going to be razor thin with them in Chicago. I think they're a better team than Chicago. But I think Chicago's better set up for those first couple of games. For this particular the, the challenge. I, yeah, I agree with that. I think that that second game is going to, be, going to be massive. And I think that it's unfortunate for Portland that it's away. I think that that puts them at a little yeah. bit of a disadvantage. Um, yeah, very good. Uh, so let's actually 
move on to Chicago. Uh, my energy for Chicago is steady. They're a steady team. They've had a steady off season, just the same old red stars that we know and love. Um, their, their strength here is the depth, their depth. They mm-hmm. have, uh, the, the thing with Chicago is that if you place them with the peak choice starting 11s in the league, I'm not sure you say, yes, top to bottom, this is better than Portland. Um, or you would say in 2019, this is better than, than North Carolina, but they have so many capable players just underneath that line yep. that they're going to be fine for, for the first two games. They're going to have, I'm anticipating someone like Kayla Sharples is probably going to get the nod in the center along with Sarah Gordon. I think you're going to have, they have the, their, their depth in midfield only got stronger so right. they do not, they are better with Julie Ertz in their midfield, but they do not need her um, to execute what they want to do. They have a whole mess of forwards. And the bigger question is just making sure that those forwards are scoring goals. Um, but I think that that's going to serve them quite well. And I think that um, they are lucky that their Portland match is not later because that's playing to Chicago's strengths. Um, my player to watch as always <laughs> is uh is Danny Colaprico. I think that she's going to be big. She's always big for them, but she's biggest for them uh when she is healthy and I think that all indications are that um Roy James has said that the midfield, the midfield in Chicago has a history of never quite all being put together at the same time. Um but they're they've been able to maintain that uh for the most part this preseason, which is exciting for them. My questions are if Casey Kruger is is injured, I don't know really who their outside backs are going to be. Bianca St. George is also dealing with, with an injury. I think it's likely that we might not see her in the Challenge Cup. Erin um, Wright is back, so she'll be a big piece for them. But I don't know what you do on the outside if you put Zoe Gorowski out there um, or what. But that, you know, you, you give something up in doing that because she's a very attacking-minded outside back. Um, and then... Similar to Washington, actually, I, I am also just, it's a work in progress. I don't know who's going to score the goals, I guess. That's my number one question. And it's yeah. a bummer because we've been talking about nothing else since 2019. It's right. the who replaces Sam Kerr question, but it's the same question because Ohio looked good at times, but she's going to need to have a career season. And as much as they want to say, we're going to take our time with Mal Pugh, they need her to have a career season if they want to be competitive. Right. And, and to add on to the question coming out of 19, which is who is going to replace Sam Kerr, they lost Nagasato, who is their number two goal scorer. Right. They lost McCaskill. They lost Vasconcelos. Yeah. Um, Losing and, Vasconcelos, I think, is going to be a bigger deal than people realize. She – Yeah. Yeah. And unless they get, you know, look, Sarah Lubert looked good. So maybe she steps up. Maybe Rachel Hill, uh, she did not play well in 2020. Yeah. Maybe Katie Johnson, who has these flashes who you look, you, you go, oh my gosh, she could be so good. And she just hasn't gotten over that edge. One of them needs to do it because yeah. Chicago's going to need goals. And right now they, there's no clear indication of where that's coming from. Right. I don't um, know. The other question is yeah. who the backup goalkeeper is when yeah. Nader's gone. Right. I think we're probably going to see Cassie Miller. She got a half in 2020. Um, they wanted that person to be Emily Boyd and, you know, the universe had other plans. So you're right. Uh, Emily Boyd is someone who has experience playing club games and, and has looked comfortable um, and they don't get, they don't get to go to her um, this, this time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Mallory Pugh plays until the end of the challenge cup. I think that's where her um, injury uh, progress is. And yeah, I, what, what I've been told is that whoever's hot, whoever's hot that day is going to play is going to start. They're not setting up a, 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 you know, a set starting 11. Um, and I think they're hopeful that that will turn into production. Um, so yeah. So do you think Chicago, you think you're putting Chicago second I think they get second? Yeah. And, and I do think they lucked out with the schedule because, you know, when you look at, and again, I know we haven't gotten to them yet, but when you look at Houston, I think, if you put the best 11 between Houston and Chicago, I think that's a really good game. And Houston, yeah. it's probably 50, 50, um, maybe 55, 45 Houston. But I think Chicago just got really lucky with the way the schedule worked out. Yeah. 
uh, classic us. We went a little bit short on Portland and we went a little bit long on Chicago. So we're going to move on to Kansas city. Uh, what I said for energy for Kansas city was just kind of a question mark. I was neutral. They're kind of, uh, they are still kind of, uh, in, in, uh, in transit in becoming who they are. You know, they don't have the finalized crest. Their name is Casey Woso or KCNWSL. Um, their roster is primarily made up of the former Utah Royals. Uh, and so you kind of have to base what we think they're going to do off how Utah did, but those players are in a very different situation now. Um, I think that the, the management, again, kind of like Louisville management has been great. I, I trust, I trust that coaching staff. Um, I just, again, think the roster is a little bit thin and mm-hmm. I think that that kind of off-season upheaval just takes a little bit of time to get over. Yeah, I think offensively, other than Amy Rodriguez, who on that who on that roster can you count on to produce? Right. I liked what they did in the Challenge Cup last summer with that three-back. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was courageous to play it, and I thought that Corsi was exceptional. I thought Del Favo was kind of a revelation. I thought Elizabeth Ball played as well as anybody thought right. um, and probably better than most, to be fair. I think that Hugh Williams is a really respected coach mm-hmm. and the organization seems like it is ready to come in and, and make a splash and give these players every opportunity. Uh, but they're just not deep enough. Like you yeah. said, you look at that roster from top to bottom. There's a lot of question marks. I will say that the one thing I was a little surprised by I thought they might try to get some value out of Abby Smith in the off season. Mm. Um, I don't think you need two number one goalkeepers. And I think Barnhart has proven that she can play, whether that's, you know, how much athletic tape or KT tape it takes to, to put on and get her out on the field. She's right. going to get it done. And Smith could be a number one goalie at a lot of teams. And especially, um, with some of the teams that are going to be losing their goalkeepers to the international break, I really thought they could have maybe picked up maybe two field players mm. uh, for a player that they, they might not even use very much this year. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I think that within all of that, I think that if we're looking for maybe exciting points for Kansas city, I do think that if they can get Vasconcelos and Rodriguez working together, I think that that yeah. would be, that'll be good. I, we didn't see a ton of Vasconcelos last year because she was working her way back from an ACL injury. Chicago was very slow with her during the challenge cup. And then she was traded to Utah for the fall series. And she got a little bit of game time um, for, for that. So yeah, I think Kansas city, this is not relevant to the challenge cup at all, but I do think that Kansas city is not the weakest team in the whole league. I think that probably still is Louisville. Um, but I just am not sure that they're ready to compete right now. I agree. Um, I think they could, you know, I am interested to see, this is another one where I think they could play well. I just don't know if the results will be there um, at the end of the day. Do you have them in fifth? Is that where you have Kansas city? I do, but kind of to tail off of what you were saying, they might be fifth in the West, but they could probably finish sixth or seventh in the league standings. And sixth is a playoff spot now, so that would be uh, pretty good for them. Yes, I agree. I think that they they are going yeah they are going to suffer for the fact that just the West this Western division is quite deep. Um, So switching over to a team that we are speaking about quite differently this year um, is Houston. The energy in Houston is good. It's triumphant. It's uh, it's confident. It's very different than, than what we saw the last time we had a regular season. Um, I think that that attitude is going to be hard to deny. Once again, Um, they are going to be annihilated by the international break, um, which is not a problem that they have had in the past. It's like good problems, right? But their Canadian players are gone. Rachel Daly is gone. Christy Mewis and Jane Campbell are gone. That, it just doesn't set them up to succeed. I think they'll get results at the end of the group stage, but I do not think yep. they'll be getting the results at the beginning. They're, that's the number one thing is they have a great starting 11, but they are not deep. Right. And 
with the international break, that's one thing uh, in April, but it's another problem during the Olympics right. over the summer. And it's also a problem if somebody gets hurt. Yeah. If they lose one key player, they're going to really struggle to be anywhere near as competitive as they were last summer. Um, and that's that's a real thing because it's 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 one thing to do what they did over seven games. Right. It's a completely different thing to do that over 24 games or uh, 24 games plus a challenge cup. Right. And uh, I think that's that's their number one challenge. Yep. I think that the good news for Houston is that their center back pairing is going to be intact all year. Um, I think that that with those two, with Megan Oyster and Katie Naughton back there, I think that that is a good, like I said, that kind of that spine to build off of. I do not think that their tactics will work without some of these players. They are another team that uh, was very successful in the challenge cup with a full team press Rachel Daly's work defensively um, was incredibly important to them. They basically were able to shut down other teams, center backs trying to build play. Um, And so that is going to be an issue. Um, But I think that again, Houston for Houston, it's going to be interesting because I'm sure that for them, they need to manage expectations while maintaining that confidence because what you don't want is you don't want to lose the first two games of the challenge cup and think to yourself oh no it's going to be 2019 all over again and then build that momentum i think for them the goal has to be building momentum going into the regular season so if it starts out kind of rough how can you start putting the performances together have you know good results at the end and um carry that into may essentially um and that's, you I, any- I had shea groom in there too as a player yeah. to watch just because i think she needs to really step up big when yep. players like us and daily are away yeah i mean they she is there she is like their attacker because nichelle prince rachel daly christy muis with all three of those gone um that does not give houston a right. lot to work with uh you have them in third is that where, where, where do you in- have them where do you have them versus ol rain See, I have them fourth, I have okay. Houston fourth, and it's because I think that Chicago and OL Reign without their national team players um, are going to be better off. And I also think Houston really drew the short straw because they have Portland in the final game, yeah. which is when Portland's <laughs> back to full strength. Back to full strength, and, right. And that's just, yeah, they just, it, it's mostly a combination of the international break and the scheduling. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, still, still think highly of Houston think this might not go that great for them, but you know what? That's okay. There's going to be many more games to play after the challenge cup is over. So now let's finally get, this is our last team. Oh, I'll rain. Uh, for energy. I just put Lux. They're like a luxury, they're a luxury team. They've got some players on their top line, their top line players. They're starting 11 who have great resumes Um, they have honestly very good NWSL league level pieces as well. I think that they have a very solid roster, um, manager, I think is still just a big question mark. How do they play together? They were very boring in 2020. Yes. How do they not good? Yeah. Right. And not that good. (laughs) So how do they, my, my weakness, I just wrote boring. Um, Yeah. So how do they turn that into a product that is not only exciting to watch, but wins games? I think it's a lot like Orlando and sky blue in that we don't know what we're getting coach wise. Right. Still, even though they, there was a season last year, ostensibly um, we don't know if Fareed Benstidi is a good coach right? uh, because they had a ton of talent. Even last year on that roster, there was a lot of talent and they did not play well. It was a very underachieving squad, but you look at that lineup uh, or that roster, some of the, I guess, top line players, Huerta, Long, Rapino, Barnes, Balser, um, I think bringing in Bardsley in the net should be a huge help. Mm -hmm. They've got King. um, There's talent on every line. This is, I really think this is going to be, it, look, it's different. It's different with, a team that maybe doesn't have a lot of talent to if if they do well, they do poorly. We're not really sure if it was the coach or not with this club. If they do poorly, I think that's a direct indictment of Ben Seedy as a coach, because there's enough talent on this team. 
to be to really be like second or third best team in the league. Yeah, agreed. I think um, the issues for All Rain are whether we we don't know if they have a good coach, and we also don't know if 2020 was useful in helping him adapt to the NWSL. Yeah. Um, as to the particulars of what it's like to succeed in this particular league. I think there were some learning experiences, but you just, they didn't get a ton of games. Um, so that, that issue might carry into 2021 of him just being a little bit bamboozled by what he's presented with. I agree that OL rain, you look at their roster and you look at their potential roster for later in the season. If they do have Marjan come over, if mm-hmm. Rose Lavelle comes back to the NWSL, they could really be a firecracker of a football team. But it, it is, it's, it, does it get but. muddy? Does it get, you know, what does that turn into? Um, because as we know, the NWSL is, is the league in, in, uh, in the landscape where it doesn't matter what your ideals are. You're going to have a bunch of hardworking players punching you in the face. So you gotta, you gotta adapt. So we will see. So you have them in third. I have them in third, but again, that's, they could be anywhere from the top to the bottom, I think. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I agree. I think that they are one of, it's funny because, you know, the teams that we haven't seen yet are obviously question marks, but I also just think that OL Reign are are a huge question mark as well. They've yet to, that is a team that has just yet to get recapture the essence of who they started out as. And I think that that is, that has to be the goal. And I, and I think it's good that they've got Bill Predmore because he, he remembers that there is that institutional memory, but they are a team that even when they play well, is it exciting? Is it something that people want to talk about? Um, Even just with the, um, the change in the crest, the change in the name, how do you get back to being specific, being exciting and, and being a team that, that people respect um, and I am also just, I'm super, I am so fascinated to see Megan Rapino's year this year. Yeah. Um, I, I think that they have a number of players that, um, are in the later stages of their career and we just don't know what decline we might see. Um, you know, you have Jess Fishlock, Shirley Cruz, Megan Rapino, all fabulous players, but they're a little bit older. Um, so when does that decline start? But they're also very experienced, so I think that we'll we'll find out. But yeah, I think OL Rain is still kind of a nebulous property. Okay, so that is every single Challenge Cup team and where we think they will uh, end up. We have a final new song. Chorus is the same. Portland versus North Carolina. Who do you think wins? I think a full strength Portland. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure that would, uh, again, bulletin board material. I'm not sure that would be particularly close even. I'm not sure. I just think that the Eastern Division is much weaker than the Western Division. And I think that even just in terms of preparation for a final, I'm not sure that those teams in the East are going to quite get what they need um, in order to put it all together. But yeah, I think we're going to see... I think Portland is going to be tough to beat in general this year. And we'll talk about this more yeah. in the regular season, but I think that it is possible. The only, the only caveat I will make is I still think it's possible that Chicago wins the West. And then if you have Chicago versus North Carolina in the final, that is intriguing to me um, because just depending on where they play it, uh, what the intimidation factor is that North Carolina still has and also we know that uh, Chicago, <laughs> Chicago gets stage fright sometimes in those kinds of games. So we will see. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my, that's mine. I think I agree that I think Portland, Portland is probably your challenge cup winner, but I also dark horse Chicago. Um, so, yeah, so that is the big challenge cup preview. This starts uh, kicks off with Chicago versus Houston on Friday. Um any any final thoughts? Any any uh, thing to wrap up what you're thinking about the Challenge Cup? I'm excited to get a regular type structure of games back. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a long year, and it'll be nice to get back in, in some sort of rhythm. Yeah, very excited for NWSL games. It'll be fast. It'll be furious. It'll be a month, and then we will it'll have be a regular all season. I, oh, I know. <laughs> 
Oh, and there was, and they did, they rescheduled, they rescheduled a Washington versus Louisville. So there will be an overlapping game on Thursday, April 15th. You can have three screens going. You can watch Chicago versus Portland. You can watch Washington versus Louisville. And you can also watch the WNBA draft if you would like. So uh, you're not going to be very productive at work in April. Yeah, exactly. I, I, what I said is it might just be a lot of soccer on demand. You might be watching some games, some games back a little bit later, but yeah. So that is that from us. We said some good stuff. We said some challenging stuff. Uh, and we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, excited to talk about games. This podcast has been dying for some games. Um, and so, yeah, so that has been our Challenge Cup preview. And that has been this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. Shout out to producer extraordinaire Jacqueline Purdy. And we will see you next week. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.